My name is Adikira, and I'm the producer of the short film documentary, A Film Called Blacks Can Swim. The aim of the film is to understand why there is a disproportionate amount of black people and ethnic minorities that can't and don't swim. On my journey to find the truth, I have the pleasure of speaking with a broadcast journalist for the BBC. She was the editor-in-chief of the university student magazine, The Bottom Line and also penned a number of articles for Swimming World magazine and the producer of the documentary Black Girls Can't Swim for BBC World Service. She was also an elite swimmer for 13 years. Serene Jones, welcome to In the Deep End with Edda Kira. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Great. Um, I have a number of questions for you. But I heard a rumour and I'd, I'd like you to verify whether it's a rumour or not. I heard that one of the reasons why you left the, what you call it, your profession as an elite swimmer was your hair. Is there any truth in that? No, no, there's no truth. Good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's definitely something that I've been thinking about throughout my career. Um, I'm one of three. I have two sisters, one older and one younger, and we were all competitive swimmers. Um, we are all mixed race. We are Welsh, Zimbabwean, and my two sisters have um, thicker, denser hair than I do. So even though it wasn't a question that I was asking myself throughout my swimming career, it was definitely a question that my sisters were asking themselves and each other throughout theirs. So um, I, was a, I was a witness to that, and, and they're the ones who kind of made me think about this dilemma that black and mixed race girls face uh, when they kind of get in the pool and swim competitively. I'm staying on the subject of hair. Um, I have a, an eight-year-old um, daughter going on nine, actually going on 19, but um, we'll save that story for another day. My, my daughter's half Indian, my wife's Indian, and hence my daughter has dense Afro hair and lots of it. Um, she swims brilliantly, as she's only nine years old, she hasn't got to the stage where she can make a decision on whether or not to swim because of the damage it does to her hair when she starts relaxing it. How do I prevent this issue from happening? I think what we need to do, not just, um, not just you as a parent, but you know, the community in general, and I think it's something that I am starting to see, but it's just starting to educate our young girls from a very, very young age teach them that straight, long hair isn't the only type of beauty that's out there, that their natural hair is just as beautiful and just as acceptable as the hair that they, that they desire. Um, it's, it's a tricky one because we know that there aren't many of us in the sport, and if there aren't many of us in the sport swimming, it means there aren't many of us coaching or role models in the sport. Um, so I think in order for us to be able to emphasize and change the way we think about our hair we need to start by doing that as a community um, but it will become easier once there are more of us in the sport and we also have the help of role models and coaches uh, where those young girls like your daughter will see herself reflected um, and like I said that's starting to happen you know we have we don't have many black girls at elite level swimming but we have Alice Deering here in the UK we have uh, Simone Manuel and Leah Neal out in the US we've got Leah Atkinson in Jamaica um, three out of four of them wear their hair naturally, um, and this is this is something that 
that's going to be a big change for young black girls. You know, they're doing what the Serena, uh, what Serena and Zena, the Williams sisters, did um, back in the 90s in tennis. You know, they turned up to these uh, tournaments with braids and beads, and that's something that has gone a long way for young black female tennis uh, tennis competitors. And I, I, I think it's we've started, but we do have a long way to go. Good, good. Another question: costs. One of the compelling reasons in modern times why ethnic adults, most certainly um, those in the less affluent areas, give for not swimming is the cost, the high cost of swimming. What would you say or what do you say to people who use this as a reason for not swimming? I can understand why it's a reason, you know, costs um, and budgets dictate what we can what we can and can't do on a daily basis. But there are opportunities where the cost of swimming can be reduced, whether it's your child taking part in mandatory swimming lessons in school, whether it's your local leisure centres offering reduced sessions over the summers, for example, whether there are BAME communities like Swim Dem Crew or initiatives that, for example, Swim England are holding. Um, there are lots of things that you can get into for a reduced cost. Swimming, and I do understand that swimming is a very, very expensive sport, far more expensive than sports uh, like football and basketball. Um, but it's a skill, and more than that, it's a life-saving skill. So even if you do pay a bit more money than you used to for your child to learn how to swim, that's already a huge start, you know, because they're already much more prepared be in a situation where perhaps previously their life would be threatened. And I'm, I'm reaching out to the mothers because I know um, the Black Can Swim campaign is is for mothers, fathers, children, black, white, Asians, everyone. But the reason why I'm, I'm stressing on the mothers is if mothers swim, the chances of their children swimming is going to be high. So I'm reaching out to the mothers, please. Let's get all get into the pool and do our thing. Um, the next question, you are very well equipped. Be, be, being in the media, you'll be very well equipped to answer this question. <laughs> Since I started this campaign, I've noticed that a lot of media presence on the issue of the disproportionate amount of blacks not swimming um, is it's all over the place. Am, am I noticing it more because of my connection to the issue, or has the media really stepped up its pace on this subject? I think you know. I think we are noticing it more because it's a personal issue. But I believe there's been more coverage. But I don't believe that's been from the mainstream media who was covering it before. I believe people like myself, people like you, people like Alice Deering. Um, the people who are actually living the experience rather than reporting on it. Now we're reporting on it in a different way. We're reporting on it as an insider in the community who swims. Um, and I think because there's that new whole aspect of reporting coming from an issue within our community, that's why the conversation and the momentum is building. Um, so so the, the mainstream media have a, a duty. I mean, they, they, sh they should be doing more, shouldn't they? Do you think that will ever happen? 
I'm not sure. I think the mainstream media have done a good job in highlighting that our community don't swim as much or partake in competitive swimming or have um, less experience in swimming or can't swim compared to other communities, other races. However, I don't think they've gone into why. We always knew that black people didn't swim as much. We always knew that the drowning rates for black children were higher than white children. None of that was new. And I feel as though I'd seen that constantly reported over the past decade, maybe. Um, but like I said, I think the complexity of the layers in that issue as to why these statistics exist hadn't really been explored until, for example, your film came out. For example, my investigation on BBC World Service came out where I went all the way to Washington, D.C. to talk to young black women who are competitive swimmers at Howard University to find out myself. Um, and I feel as though there are more and more people deciding to take this upon themselves. Um, and, and, it's, and it's the most authentic reporting I've seen because, like I said, these people who are now taking over this reporting are relevant and are involved in this community. Thank you. Thank you. As you probably appreciate, you have to um, know your past in order to understand the present, in order to probably influence the future. Um, there is speculation that slavery had an impact on black people's attitude and consequently the fear of water and, and fear of swimming. Being passed down the generation through, through genetics. So basically, our, the fears of our parents to ourselves. Do you think there's any truth in this? But during my investigation into the documentary Black Girls Can't Swim, I spoke to um, a lecturer at Howard University called Daryl Fogan, who actually talked about this quite interestingly. Um, so he believed that uh, West Africa, well, Africans in general, but West Africans and, Car and Caribbeans especially, always knew how to swim. It was part of their life. They're, you know, they're the countries on the coast. Um, they learn how to fish cook for their livelihood, um, they could swim, they could hold their breath for, for ample time. Um, this is something that was very, very natural to us. Um, when kind of slavery eventually came about, um, obviously the activities of black people were extremely, extremely restricted. Um, and, and over time, because black people weren't allowed to get in the water anymore, as he was saying, um, that kind of confidence uh, was inevitably left and was replaced with fear because it was an activity that after generations and generations black people couldn't, couldn't do because they weren't allowed to and because they couldn't do they wouldn't do because they were then afraid um, that was that's a simple kind of explanation of how it was something that we used to be able to do for our livelihood and it switched into more of a threat and a fear. Now, if you fast forward all the way now to 2019, which I understand is three, four hundred years on, um, there's still a cultural fear, he was saying, in the minds of many black people. Because in our generation, you have grandmothers or great-grandmothers who were alive just, you know, towards the end, towards the end of the slave slavery era into the civil uh, into the civil rights era, especially in America, where that mentality still exists that they just do not want to get in the water. He was saying that in order to get rid of the fear 
up from generation to generation and is also influencing the minds of young black people today, we need to tackle that fear in their parents first. Because a parent isn't going to sit by and watch their child do something that they're absolutely petrified of. Um, and that's what we need to tackle first. You can't expect to take the fear out of the child's mind if the fear is already implemented in the parent's mind. We've got, to, we've got some work to do. We definitely have some work to yeah. do, but it's not impossible. And, you know, slavery, on one hand, was very recent, but on the other hand, it was a long time ago. So, as a community, I believe we need to, once we can tackle that cultural fear, and once we can start educating about how swimming was a natural way of life for us, then I think we can go ahead and start start understanding that this is something that we do. This isn't something that we can do as well. This is something that we've always done and this is something that we do. Great, good. As, as a result of your dual heritage, um, how supportive was the swimming board when you were swimming, the 13 years that you were swimming um, professionally? If I'm completely honest, I don't really have anything to, negative or positive to say about any of the swim boards I was swimming with over my swimming career. Um, race wasn't really, as far as I was aware, something, race and diversity, that is, was something that they were pushing for in the sport. Um, I was just another swimmer. Uh, I had ample support from my coaches um, and my teammates. Uh, but the boards were very removed from all of us swimmers. They were, I wouldn't have really known who to speak to had I complained that I wanted to raise the boards. Um, swimming is just about swimming fast. I don't really think the boards particularly care if you are from um, an ethnic minority or not. Okay. And uh, which leads me well into my, my next question. Because um, I, I was told, and I've been told by a number of people, that um, being a black person, learning how to swim, uh, it is advisable to have a black instructor as they would understand any obstacles that I may have as a black person learning how to swim. Um, my instructor, um, Mark Trude, for Swimming Nature, is, is, is white. But I haven't... But then again, I don't have anything to compare it with, but I don't think there's any issue with me being taught by a white, um, a white um, instructor. But then you also hear of stories, um, and I think um, Alice Deering, when I interviewed her um, a few weeks back, she mentioned a story about a black um, lady learning how to swim, and she was told by her white instructor that you have a big, you know, the reason why you're struggling is because you have a, a big bottom and that is holding you back. I know as, as ridiculous as it sounds. Yeah, so, um, so what's your thoughts? Going back to the question, do you think it makes any difference whether it's a white or black instructor teaching a black um, student how to swim? I think it, I think it can make a difference culturally. But in terms of professionally, it's not necessary, I don't think. Ideally, I think if you're a young, and I'm talking young, you know, under the age of 10, a young black competitive swimmer 
getting into the sport, having any, you know, role models are positive anyway, having any type of black coach, black weights coach, uh, black physiotherapist, black teammates, all of that is, you know, is beneficial because when everyone knows when you're young, you need to have as many, um, it, it's beneficial to see yourself in as many different kinds of aspects and realms as possible. Um, that's something that we all know. Um, similarly, if you are, um, like woman you mentioned, um, an older adult learning how to swim, um, culturally, because as we've already spoken about, there is usually an inherent cultural inherent fear of the water. Having, um, having a black coach or having a coach from your culture, I'm sure would help and would aid the process of you learning how to swim because they understand where you're coming from. Yes. However, I never had a black coach simply because there, were, there weren't any where I was. You know, I, was, I spent 10 years in Cardiff and then four years in New York, um, and there were no black coaches available. However, I had some extremely, extremely brilliant experiences with a few brilliant, brilliant people um, who did take the time to understand um, my needs that were different to my teammates at times, um, my concerns, which were also slightly different to my teammates at times, um, but, you know, the coach and the swimmer are there, essentially, com the competitive coach and the competitive swimmer are there, essentially, to improve. Um, and if you're both on the same page, then you already have a special relationship. Um, so to answer your question again, I think it would be ideal for younger and older swimmers, especially, to be able to have coaches who understand them culturally. But I don't necessarily think necessary for your standard competitive swimmer to have a coach who culturally understands them because they should already have that type of relationship with their coach. As a, um, as a community and in your findings with all the research that you've done, is there anything, any other advice that you can give that could help us eradicate this issue and this problem we have with um, a disproportionate amount of us? swimming advice i'm not too sure but what this i think after all the research i've done it's become rather black and white for me really um <laughs> i want to choice of words um but you know black children are more likely to die from drowning because we can't swim so what are we going to do about it there are already stigmas and disadvantages that our children have in the community um, without even considering something as small, something that's such a simple fix like learning how to swim. Um, like I said previously, I do understand the cost reasons, but there are ways around that. And, you know, we're so dominant in so many dry land sports, there's never really a lack of representation when we're watching athletics, when we're watching basketball, when we're watching tennis when we're watching netball, when we're watching football and rugby, because we're there and we're good. So why not transition that dominance and that excellence into the water? Because we have the athletic ability, so what are we waiting for? Thank you. Thank you. Well said. Can you tell us um, what you've been up to lately? What's your plans for the future? Um, oh yeah, Tokyo 2020, w will you be representing it in any way? Oh, I would love to. Um, however, you know, I, I haven't heard any information about me going out 
toes, I would grab it with both hands. Um, but there's still some times, so, you know, maybe I might get some sort of invitation from BBC Wales at some point. You know, so. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you do a great job. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. Um, and as for what I've been doing recently, I, uh, I was nominated for the first time for a BAFTA um, for a TV documentary I did about my family in Zimbabwe last year. Um, and now I'm heading back to London. I didn't win the BAFTA award, but it was a brilliant experience regardless. Um, I'm heading back to London to my day job where I'm a producer on BBC's Radio 4 News podcast called Beyond Today. And um, as for some future works, I'm planning to co-present a BBC Wales sports podcast all about women's sports um, before the end of the year. So that's something I'm quite looking forward to. Been great having a conversation with you. So yeah, so thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Speak to you soon.